The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So there's just so much to talk about, argue about in these West grades that we had to go to a part two. Happy Labor Day, everyone. Hope you're getting a chance to listen to this uh, while you're traveling for the holiday, uh, getting some time off. So if you're missing part one, we did that in our previous episode, went through the LA Lakers. So we're going to start here with Memphis, and then we got Ben Dull coming up as well to talk about the four summer league teams we haven't discussed yet. Ben, our Liam's successor, our director of basketball research. So let's move on here with uh, the Memphis. Grizzlies, Danny, what'd they do? A whole hell of a lot is what they did. So the most notable move was trading Mike Conley for Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, Grayson Allen, the 23rd pick in the draft, and Utah's first round pick. It looks like it'll be 2022. It just depends on how, how the Jazz fare for the upcoming year. They also used one of their trade exceptions to acquire Andre Guadala and also pick up a, a, the Warriors' lightly protected 2024 first round pick. They both moved DeLon Wright in a sign-in trade for two future seconds and then signed Tyus Jones for a very similar amount for the mid-level exception. That's just how that was structured. Then they traded Kyle Korver, and who they had acquired in the Connolly trade, and Javon Carter for Josh Jackson, DeAnthony Melton, Phoenix's 2022nd, and possibly their 2021, depending on where the Suns end up falling record-wise. They moved up a little bit. They gave up a second-round pick to move up from 23 to 21 for Brandon Clark. They traded CJ Miles for Dwight Howard, who they bought out, and they traded Chandler Parsons for Solomon Hill and Miles Plumley. They also drafted, they, they moved up heavily in the lottery, drafted John Morant second overall, and they made coaching and GM changes. They hired Taylor Jenkins to be their head coach. Zach Kleiman is their key personnel decision maker, and they re-signed Valanchunas. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it is. And I gave him an A. I think they... Straight A. I was very impressed to hear with just about every single move other than re-signing Valanchunas, which is a, a little bit rich uh, for my blood at three years, $45 million, given the state of the center position. It's not something that's going to kill them. They're going to have more cap space uh, than they can shake a stick at uh, next summer anyway, and uh, the year after uh, as well. The Conley trade, I think they did better than expected, considering Conley only had one guaranteed year left, uh, or, or uh, I'm sorry, one year and then a player option, an ETO technically, on his final year. You know, I think that was a better package than maybe they could have gotten last trade deadline. Uh, Allen, who knows what he's going to be, but number 23 uh, was not bad, and they turned that into Clark, who I think uh, looks like a player, MVP of Summer League, a deserving one, uh, and that Utah first coming up, which you know it's probably going to be pretty low in the round, but there weren't necessarily other suitors for Conley. They also got Jay Crowder, who was a, a value contract, uh, I would say, there, and who knows they might be able to get something for him uh and then you know the Iguodala trade exception thing I mean with the Warriors under the gun from a timing standpoint 
point that Iguodala to me has positive value we'll see whether they, he ends up getting bought out or not or and then to get that 2024 who knows how the Warriors will be then only top four protected really like that move the right sign and trade I mean you know they kind of basically traded him for Jones they both had the same contract but they did pick up a couple of second rounders um none of those looking like an amazing one but still not useless I think right right now is a better player than Jones but he's 27 already and they're really at the beginning of this rebuilding process so Jones is younger at 23 and also has more shooting ability so he's probably a better fit playing next to John Morant at times as well and they completely fleeced Phoenix uh to get a couple of second rounders and they got Josh Jackson who they can at least take a look at they'll probably decline his fourth year rookie option but he's not a talentless player CJ Miles for Dwight Howard they saved money on that transaction itself Miles wasn't in their long-term plans and then they bought out Howard they ended up just saving five million dollars for doing nothing there that was pretty good um and then even Parsons for Hill and Plumlee I think those guys can be broken up uh and more easily traded if they want to take on some bad salary although it does cost them a, a roster spot um and, and how then, much yeah, how much yeah. money do you think I'd have to pay Josh Jackson to get him to change his Twitter bio to he's not a talentless player <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then Morant, I mean, they, you know, they don't get any extra credit for getting lucky in the lottery, but they didn't go with RJ Barrett. They went with Morant. That was probably the consensus, but the, the right one, I think Morant was way better than, than RJ Barrett. So, um, and then it looks like, uh, Zach Lyman, although, you know, many kind of panned that move and, you know, he doesn't have the, the reputation of being like the most likable, but he's, they've made good moves so far. So that's looking pretty good. And Taylor Jenkins, I mean, don't know much about him, but coming out of that Milwaukee system, some of the principles that they deployed uh, on both ends work pretty well so i think you know in on paper looks like a good hire and you know moving on from jb bickerstaff uh while i thought bickerstaff got them to play hard at the end of last year i think your, your ceiling with him and some of his more outdated principles uh, was uh, a little bit lower than with jenkins who kind of fits better to me as far as developing some young players in a more modest system i also think that the grizzlies are instructive in terms of the way that i think about grading so some people might go hey why'd you give them a straight a, especially if you're not giving them that much credit for John Morant. And it's because a big part of grading for me is how did you do with the resources that you had? And yeah. Memphis did not have a ton of flexibility. Yeah, they ended up with the number two pick and that's well, awesome. And they also just, they traded Conley. They finally like actually got and, their thumbs and, out of their butts and did that. And got more, I would say they got more value for him than if they had traded him the deadline, which genuinely yeah. stunned me. They probably benefited from the Jazz getting ousted so unceremoniously. Another benefit or weird implication of the way that the bracket turned turned out in the Western Conference. And yeah, I, I'm not as enthusiastic about the, the Tyus Jones, DeLon Wright thing. I almost called him his brother's name again because... But I think that DeLon, I, I don't love him as like the necessarily like the backup point guard. I think that he kind of fits in a different ecosystem than would have worked with eventually with John Morant, you know, like, but I, and Tyus is more of a conventional backup. I think that that could work okay. But, you know, also taking flyers on Josh Jackson, on DeAnthony Melton, on Grayson Allen, and they didn't really sacrifice anything to do so. They, in many cases, were the beneficiary of those trades without really giving up much. And that's a really nice hallmark. And so for a team that didn't have cap space, that had that didn't sacrifice draft assets really other than moving up a couple spots for Brandon Clark which looks fantastic considering Clark was so impressive in summer league and a lot of that late 20s morass wasn't or mid, early 20s morass wasn't exactly inspiring in summer league that worked out very well for them and he was obviously an analytics darling and all of those sorts of things that we hadn't watched film on him beforehand so yeah uh, they 
They got a lot from a little, and they didn't sacrifice, not only did they not sacrifice draft picks or anything like that, they didn't really sacrifice much future flexibility either. So a lot of times it's one of the, it it becomes a situation where a team got something good at a terrible price, and maybe they're not bearing that for another couple of years or something like that. Memphis didn't have to do that. They got to really have their cake and eat it too, and that's why they get a straight A. Turn to the Wolves now. I thought the major move for them was one that I didn't like, although they are showing some signs here, especially in kind of doing some stuff around the margin that looks good. They have not really succeeded in doing it as an organization. They hired Gerson Rosas. They retained Ryan Saunders. But the number one thing that they did, I didn't care for. I thought that moving up from 11 to 6 was a really smart move because the perfect guy was there. Kobe White, they need a point guard who can shoot a little bit, push the ball, run pick and roll with Carl Anthony towns and then they drafted Jared Culver instead who I really we didn't see him in summer league but I really really did not care for Culver you know I, I had him among the lowest of the wings who are being projected in that area they are very very high on him um you know so and Rosas I mean I think he do, did a lot of other things well but the fact that he really like loved Culver and I didn't now so I gave him a D plus largely because I really didn't like that transition especially not taking white maybe my evaluation will be wrong and Rosas's will be right and a year from now when we do our regrades I will be changing my grade because I did like most of a, the other stuff that, that they did here I ended up giving them a C and they were the hardest team in the West for me to grade partially because the Timberwolves did so little they you know so they're other moves I'll just they won't take long to run through they they acquired Jake Lehman via sign and trade they sign they acquired actually technically Shabazz Napier Travion Graham they signed Jordan Bell and Noah Vonley they got Ty Wallace and signed Naz Reed who was undrafted and they drafted Culver and Jalen Nolan and then they also importantly hired Rosas and retained Ryan Saunders which counts as well we I, I'm gonna have to see how that turns out it's actually for those who are interested uh Locke Maris and I did an interest had an interesting conversation about the Saunders decision on Real J radio back a couple weeks ago if you want to listen to that but about the idea of basically that it takes coaches a long time to establish whether they're actually good or not and that Saunders we just don't know and sure. we'll we'll see how that bears out but yeah the most important move they made was a mix of good and bad 11 in charge for six is a is a great move I mean charge remember this will come up soon enough that he's one year away from being properly paid in all likelihood and in a you know a terrible market he could end, end up being more desirable and that could hurt Phoenix now and it's yeah. not and, and I've problem. always felt Charge was was overrated a little bit. Right, yeah, he's yeah. he's the type of player that you like to have on your team, but probably but he's not a centerpiece, and you know he's more of a nice ad nice ad rather than a, a key. And ads are important, but they're not they're not everything. And with Culver, the other when I was piecing together their offseason, the other thing that was so notable about it was how important he is because of all the depth they lost. You know, not only did they you know they traded Charge, but by virtue of you know trying to stay under the tax and everything else, they also lost Derrick Rose and Todd. Gibson and Tyus Jones and Anthony Tolliver so this is yeah, a and those were guys that they had the resources to retain sure. now where this team is you would say I mean you know the problem is they've got Jang and they've got Teague and they've got Andrew Wiggins so they're up against the tax for this mediocre team so you know I think that's I'm not going to penalize them as much as a Houston
Houston or a Denver for not paying it. Well, and um, especially because yeah. those mistakes were made so long ago. You know, it wasn't even this administration. You know, with Jang and yeah. and, and and paying the tax. Yeah, exactly. As you said, like paying the tax for the Wolves is not nearly as big a deal. Though it is worth noting that they still have a bunch of their mid level left and have space under the tax. So they could have done a little bit more to add to their depth. And for Minnesota, an extra piece making three four million would make a huge difference. Yeah, it would. And you know, point guard could be a weakness. I mean, they to have Napier fall into their lap was nice and maybe that's why they felt okay not matching on Jones I probably given their situation would have also not matched on Jones I mean they, they're just not in a situation right now where they can pay nine million dollars for a guy who's probably not going to be a starter I mean they just they have to find another point guard solution now is as good of a possible solution as Kobe White was going to be ever going to come along with the resources available I mean I think that was one where you know even if you don't like White that much you know who wh- who is going to be the superior long-term point guard option that's going to show up for this capped out team in the next couple of years you know so that that was a concern for me um but i did like you know again getting napier and graham basically for nothing uh you know they actually picked up cash to get those guys i think those guys can possibly contribute jordan bell noah vonley uh we've got one year two million is a good flyer bell is at the minimum he'll be a restricted free agent again next year uh ty wallace claimed off of waivers another guy who might be part of the uh, be able to help a ball handling in the backcourt uh jalen noel i don't really have an opinion on because we didn't see him in summer league so I think Rosas is doing some good things and he brought along Sachin Gupta as well who's a, a smart mind kind of on the more creative cap side of things I think just their overall organization is beginning to modernize although it, there was some carping about the way that Rosas treated some of the guys that ended up getting fired there basically like working them really hard until the draft and then oh yeah you're fired right after the draft is over um but it just it was the Culver move ultimately I think like Rosas he's not known as having a particular analytic bent despite coming from houston he seems more on the scouting side i think he's learned a lot from an organizational standpoint with the rockets but i just don't agree with that one scouting evaluation and uh, if culver has a really nice rookie year i will be changing things i think there are some positive signs here overall despite the the d plus that i gave and just so it's out there again i gave them a straight c the pelicans oh baby i mean we talked about them in the last episode so i don't think we have to run through the absolute specifics of that trade with the lakers but they now have lonzo ball brandon ingram josh hart uh as a result of that trade including uh then a a boatload of picks uh well a boatload of picks one of which became a separate boatload of picks because they traded the number four selection along with 57 and dumping solomon hill's contract and then a future second for to atlanta who wanted dean hunter deandre hunter for number eight number 17 number 35 and cleveland's 2021st if they somehow end up with one not one of the 10 worst records more likely it's going to be a couple seconds from the Cavs in the future And that's an absolute haul. They got two future seconds from the Warriors for number 39. They also, and then they also made the move where they gave up those Warriors seconds for Derek Favors when the Jazz needed to clear a little bit more money to sign Bojan Bogdanovic. And then, and that was also the, the, it was cap space focused and all that kind of stuff. So that was, you know, to get their center of the present. Yeah. And basically moving, being able to get off of Hill's salary, basically got them the salary spot that became JJ Redick, which was is a, a good move two-year deal for him at 13 million per favors is going to be a quality starting center option that they didn't have uh, on both ends i mean the two-way starting center you know i think that's getting to the point where that actually is worth paying for as opposed to a guy uh, like valentius and they could even you know look to re-sign favors uh, after this as well they'll have full board rights on him 
Ball and Ingram are, are really good flyers. The one I gave him an A overall, and you know, that number 17, they drafted Nikhil Alexander Walker, who we really liked. The one reason I didn't give him an A plus is I think they're just not quite valuing spreading the floor enough. Uh, and whether that's around Zion Williamson and whether that's you know, investing number eight in Jackson Hayes, who did look good, uh, admittedly. Um, whether you also have Ball and Ingram, who they didn't really kind of have a choice on, you know, those guys are potentially prospects and they can't shoot, and that's just how it is and they'll have some other chances to create some more shooting around those guys if those guys look like foundational pieces um and you know there's still the potential ingram extension coming which uh you know that could change this grade a lot the next time we look at this uh next offseason uh they also in an underrated move that i liked human trade exception for darius miller two years 14 million second year non-guaranteed they had early bird rights on him they're able to do that and but you know it didn't really cost them anything he had a, a smaller cap hold to sign him to that deal you know they really had a full roster already essentially uh, and they got a lot of guys who, who need to play on this team uh, already so that that i think was just a, a good bit of cap maneuvering and then a uh, nicola melli who they signed with most of the room exception not all of it uh, two years eight million declining slightly not too impressed by what i've seen from him at times you know i don't know if he's like quite the stretch four that they might hope um but you know i'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that for now so i, I think they got really one of the best hauls anyone has ever gotten in a trade for a superstar at least on paper and then that number four trade the value they got there they may i mean the alexander walker might be the best player in the, in that trade jackson hayes might be too i i and i certainly will bet you that one of those two guys is going to end up being better than deandre hunter and then you also have getting off a hill so you're able to get reddick there and number 35 dd looks like a, he could play we talked about him a, a couple episodes ago you know another guy who's not even going to come over this year but he could be part of their plans uh really just an excellent uh job of rebuilding i think they can actually be competitive this year and you know that doesn't even factor in that they got zion williamson but that you know that was just lottery luck i think they considering that they did a great great job and you know i'll give them an a do you want me to give you a reason you might move that up to an a plus was that the david griffin hiring and all the other ancillary staffing stuff that all counts too yeah no that's true the athletic staff the facilities and and those are aaron nelson from the suns the trainer yeah yeah. those are those are huge benefits i i would have considered i don't give a pluses but I would have considered there's they were a straight A for me I didn't even question it that much because of all that other ancillary stuff I was not the biggest Jackson Hayes fan but Nikhil was awesome in summer leagues and the value that they got by not only in future picks through the AD trade but by being competitive in these early years I think that's really going to help you know there is a there is a merit to you know tearing it all the way down building the asset base around Zion you know if they had been bad but I think with Drew Holiday in particular it they, they were too close to being good and with the Lakers guys and everything else, it, I think it would have been hard to s- strip it bare enough to be like one of the worst teams in the league and go the, the route that they were too scared to do with Anthony Davis. But now they have some Lakers assets to to make a different kind of bet. And they have a lot of good young players now. So they have this base. And if they also like, and there was a part of me at various moments that thought they should move some of those Lakers guys just because the overall fit, like you, I'm worried about the shooting, but I will also emphasize the lack of forwards. They didn't really emphasize that position and considering 
during scarcity. That's a big deal, especially if Zion ends up as a five, which may or may yeah, not. Yeah, I mean, happen. I'm not sure who they were supposed to get. Like, I, I think right. they're better off right and with, like with favors than like overpaying for like a Trevor Ariza or something. like sure, that. Sure, and favors is on a one is on a one year deal, and then they'll have Bird right. So if they want to bring him yeah. back, so be it. And if they don't, yeah. But whatever. but the problem is, you know, you're probably the reason I can't give him an A plus is because they're starting three through five right now is Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Derek Favors. That's fair. I mean, I it, mean, they, it, they're just that just isn't enough shooting it just isn't like and when and, and when you come and when you pay guys like jj reddick you kind of are doing that with the idea of being at least a little bit more competitive and that could sink their season it's kind of like the weird thing of the hawks not having a backup linker it's like why would you create something that has this obvious a deficiency but you know i guess they're in a, they're in a somewhat different place yeah but they have so many assets going forward too i think to just get some talent on the team now see if they can work it out and you know if they want to make a trade if it really looks like they're competitive this year if they want to get someone who uh it fits a little bit better with in that front court who can shoot a little bit more you know they have the option of doing that with a, a lot of the assets at hand and we'll see you know I, I mean i think right now maybe they didn't want to do anything rash they want to just get some good players and let's just see how these guys all fit let's see how good zion is let's see how good lonzo is let's see how good brandon ingram is i mean those are three huge question marks and how well all those guys fit together i mean you are very light on shooting with that trio you know i would imagine one of them is probably going to not be a part of this group in the long term but let's just see how it looks right now they got plenty of time okc now has all the time in the world uh, as well Uh, again we went over the trade with the clippers on the last episodes we don't need to uh, rehash that uh, necessarily we also went over the trade with russell westbrook and the rockets um they drafted uh darius basley at number 23 i think it's basley darius basley at number 23 uh they brought back nerland's noel uh for uh, basically the minimum again yeah straight up minimum deal for him after he opted out of a player option that would have paid him more and for moving down those two slots they picked up memphis's 2024 second you know certainly the guy they traded away brandon clark to get uh basely though and i think you know i like clark better than basely uh ben's actually going to talk about basely in just a, a bit here but I, I went ultimately with an A here because they just got the biggest haul probably anyone has ever gotten for a superstar. And Paul George is not the greatest player to ever get traded uh, by any means. They kind of looked into that. I thought the Westbrook trade was also a really good piece of business by them. They bit the bullet there. Westbrook you know, kind of said he wanted out. But there was also talk that Sam Presley was like, no, we can't keep spending at this level before any of this happened. So it did seem like changes kind of needed to be made. And if you just think about ultimately how much their chances of inc- of winning a championship in the next 10 or 15 years increased as a result of the moves that they made i think that's very very high because they just they didn't have anywhere to go with that westbrook and george group at, at this point in time and, and had no way to improve they're really expensive and those guys were especially westbrook were on the downside this was an easy a for me and also just a great reminder of why trades are different from both perspectives we argued the merits of the paul george trade and the chris paul russell westbrook trade from the houston and clippers perspective perspectives when we were doing their grades and a little bit on Denver with Jeremy Grant as well. All of those trades to me were unambiguous positives for the for the Thunder because they were in a different place. They got an absolute haul. Yeah. The mar- the marginal difference, let's say in the Chris Paul Russell Westbrook trade, the difference between those two players is more important to Houston than it is to Oklahoma City considering where those teams are in their success cycles. They got just that's 
just so much for Paul George. And something that I've been thinking about when I was putting together the offseason grades that I wish I had thought of at the time, it would have been it would have been too prescient, which is why it doesn't happen, is the eerie parallels between the Jeremy Grant trade and the Serge Ibaka trade as the canary in the coal mine of like this move that was a little bit weird for a team that thought it would that looked like they were contending. And then everything kind of goes after that. The Serge Ibaka trade was a few weeks before Kevin Durant ended up leaving. Yeah. And, I mean, that would made sense just to reduce the tax bill. Sure. But you know, I just I hadn't thought about oh they traded a power forward who was a really good fit on their team and then ended up you know not being a part of the next team. I'm not saying they're the same thing. Yes. Both situations it seems like it was done without the knowledge of what would come next. Maybe some openness to it just because that's the way the world works. But Presti did a great job of understanding whether it was whenever he got to the understanding of where this team was and that it wasn't worth clinging to, especially when other teams got ridiculous with the offers. I mean, Paul George five first round picks and some swaps and Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Gallinari. I think, I mean, Shea is a very talented player who has a lot of room to grow. Uh, Gallo had a wonderful year last year. And if he brings something to OKC or if they can get something for him in a trade, awesome. If not, it's fine. Expiring sound, expiring yeah. contract. No problem there. I don't love Mike Biscala, but remember Mike Biscala signed when this was a very different Oklahoma City team and he stayed after after all that stuff happened. I wonder how Nerlens feels about that because, because remember there was, they kind of, OKC from what I recall, they kind of let guys out of their commitments if they wanted to but i don't think they did that for nerlitz because he had already backed out and so it's kind of like you don't get to do that twice and so noel you know he'll be a part of this team big whoop and the only the only criticism really that i have of the thunder is the move down from 21 to 23 from what we've seen so far clark seems significantly better than basley basley well i'm gonna get it right at some point in my life but we'll have to see that with time i don't you know it's kind of like the Jared culver thing where we just need to we need to see a little bit more before i'm going to get definitive so maybe in time that leads to a lowering of this grade but the other stuff is so much more yeah, important he, he for is right now. four years younger than clark, right exactly so. and and clark you know he's going to be better earlier on when the thunder are not going to be good and they already have steven adams under contract and depending on what position clark plays long term so it's it's not you know it's again evaluating from different perspectives so great off season for the thunder it's going to be painful for their fans for for a little while because this team is i think they're going to be better than people think in 1920 but it's going to take some time that that's the way this generally works out and realizing it recognizing it and extracting the assets they did is going to make this transition a lot less painful both in the immediate with Shea and in the long term because not only do they have their own picks but they have all these other picks from other teams that could end up being bad that far out yep so uh, i gave him an a as well as uh did you the Suns. i mean i i gave him an f plus i think there's there are a couple moves around the margins that i thought were all right that's where the plus comes from but it really was just another total head scratcher first of all retaining james jones bringing in jeff bauer hey i bet you didn't know this but jeff bauer like wanted to uh recruit cam johnson like five years ago so yeah let's spend the number 11 pick on him when he's mocked to be to go in the 20s after trading down also if they had just drafted kobe white then they wouldn't have necessarily had to sign ricky rubio to what i think is a bad contract three years 51 million for him 
Uh, Monty Williams on a on a five year deal. I think he is going to bring an important level of stability. They replaced Igor Kakashkov, and yeah, you know, I'm not. I wasn't there behind the scenes, but I don't know what Igor did to get fired. I mean, like th- their team was. They just had no NBA players. They had no point guard last year. Uh, a lot of the time, you know, they he at least engineered like some decent moments when they had close to their full team uh, together. So I mean, if I had to guess who's a better coach, I probably might even go with Igor over Monty. But he does provide some important stability there to an organization that's like that but you know i mean monty got fired from a reason for a reason in new orleans um yeah so cam johnson i i he's a tall shooter i do like that aspect but he's 23 he's got hip issues and he's not really known as, as a defensive player they did bring back kelly uber i thought that was okay two years 30 million uh the trade of tj warren made very little sense i thought he was actually like a, a solid enough player and then they gave up number 32 and got a little cash back uh to do that they let rashawn holmes go and they signed frank kaminsky to the same contract uh the josh jackson trade trade where they had to to keep Ubre's cap hold on the books and bring him back they had to move Jackson and gave up a couple of seconds to do that possibly two seconds um and get back Kyle Korver whom they then waived and they also traded DeAnthony Melton for Javon Carter that was a downgrade uh, as part of that um so all of those moves number one i think we're kind of bad just in a vacuum and then when you look at the existential question of this team which is how are we going to make life easier for devin booker and deandre ayton and i'm not really sure that any of these moves do that either than maybe you know cam johnson being a shooter um you know there's i can get to a few of the ones that i liked okay that gets them the f plus instead of an f or an f minus but uh i mean this, this is all just pretty bad stuff here frankly I was at an F before I forgot about like really how much keeping James Jones and adding Jeff Bauer is part of that. So I'm going to an F minus for them. Not to say that everything is terrible, but this is the converse of what I talked about with Memphis before of how did you do with what you had? So Phoenix started out with the number six pick and a bunch of cap space. And remember, they also traded Milwaukee's 2021st for Ty Jerome and Aaron Baines. Which which is a move that I actually liked. I, I have to see more of Jerome to figure out how I feel about that. From a pick perspective, that's okay. I just need to yeah. I just need to see Jerome because he didn't play in summer league. So all of that, you know, like getting Rubio on an over, overpaid contract, Sharich, who kind of helps but doesn't really solve any of their problems, Ubre only getting a two year deal, Frank Kaminsky using the room mid level on him, which is just one of the worst moves for me of the of the offseason, just because it doesn't make any like cogent sense. You know, the, there isn't you have you have a lot of the other pieces of your front court there and. Are you going to play him with DeAndre Ayton? Is that is that an idea that's actually going to happen there? And yeah, Sharich to me isn't a great fit with this group either. I mean, like, yeah, if you're going to have DeAndre Ayton out there and you're going to have Devin Booker out there and you really need some defense around those guys and, and Rubio to me has slipped a lot defensively he can't really shoot either like it's just uh, now well and, and Rubio's yeah. yeah he's he's aged so much if, if you were getting 23 year old Ricky Rubio who I thought was a really underrated defender and and that yeah those would be a different conversation that's not the Ricky Rubio they're getting and also getting Rubio it it shows a strange lack of recognition of the growth that Devin Booker made last year and it feels genuinely weird to be the person defending Devin Booker but he looked so much better with the ball in his hands so why why are you pairing him with a point guard who can't shoot? Because then if Booker has the ball, it makes life easier. The defense can collapse in different places. And Rubio provides, you know, the Utah fans could talk, could talk about this at moments, even though he was important to their success at times, that pairing him with another player who's capable of the ball in his hands can be a real challenging factor. And Rubio, I don't think he's going to age well for many different reasons. But the other 
just bizarre thing that warrants a little bit of discussion about Phoenix's offseason is the way that their approach to cap space changed so drastically from basically hour to hour in the key moments of the summer. So like they took on Aaron Baines in the in that trade where they got them where they got Ty Jerome. Okay, that's totally fine. But and Baines, yeah, you know, capable Baines backup center, yeah. not a problem. But then they're dumping TJ Warren. Like it was like an hour before that. I think they dumped TJ Warren for cash. I was like, okay, so now they're clearing cap space. Then they do. Then they're like, oh crap, we need a little bit more for for Ubre. So they do the Josh Jackson Melton thing, where they also include two second round picks for some reason. And even though they're sending more kind of more upside back to Memphis, says thank you for saving them saving them some money. So it's just so weird. And then you think about what they did with the cap space, which was generally negative value. What yeah, they yeah, did with getting, the draft assets, getting Rubio as well. I mean, like to to give up Warren. So that you could then give Rubio a bigger contract. Just it didn't. I mean, I realized the point guard market was a little inflated, but it's all like, what are you getting for this? Right? And it, it, I mean, interestingly, like Pelton's productions have Phoenix as being better than expected. You know, mid thirties and wins taking a step forward this year. But even if they do that, like, what does that get you? Like, what what did they do this offseason to help their foundation of being like a perennial playoff team around? Even if you know, you know around Booker and Aiton, even if you want to say those guys are a good core which we have some skepticism about around those guys like who are the keepers that they acquired right now who are going to be a part of this theoretical Suns right. team a few years from now it's yeah. going to be good I, I originally had a framing on this of 2021 so that booker will be in the middle of his big contract Aiton will be in the final year before he gets his new contract Ubre will already have been a free agent again rubio will be in the final year of his contract making 17.8 they weren't able to front load that contract even as they overpaid him bridges will still be around but like they're they don't even they're not even deep for them and yeah they'll probably have have some pretty good picks coming in their own stead at that point like over the next two years but it's so yeah maybe there maybe another downside of this could be that they weaken their own draft picks in years when they're still not good and they're clearly not a playoff team to me and yeah there's a possibility they exceed expectations i could see them being in the 30s totally possible but what is that as you said, you know, like, what is the benefit? You're not, it's not like you're OKC in those early years, jumping into the 30s, and you see where it's going from there, because they would have some talent exoduses coming from that point. Yeah, and again, I mean, this is another one where it's just like, you have this massive hole at point guard, like, draft Kobe White, and then, you know, maybe you go after, like, DeLon Wright, or Tyus Jones, or Seth Curry, or someone, you know, more in that mid-level area than having to pay up for a quote-unquote starter in Ruby who actually like isn't even as good as right by the way and is a lot more injury prone at this point i think well maybe you know i have the beholder now but certainly going forward i i would pick right there so i, I mean i think they valued just a quote-unquote starting point guard in rubio so much that they didn't really think about the fit and they didn't think about that you, know, you can get someone who might be in a little bit different situation that and uh salary wise but might be almost as good as him especially for a time when you know rubio is really just a stopgap and they paid a lot of money for that stopgap i'm trying to think if we really have anything more necessarily to say on them or do you want to move on to portland yeah let's do that uh right after this let's turn to this from my bookie the place to bet on football every weekend football starts up uh, right after labor day antonio Brown's on the raiders Le'Veon bell's on the jets odell beckham is in cleveland the one thing that hasn't changed is where you should put your money down on these games my bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book this year they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest it costs a hundred dollars to enter but first place is guaranteed to win at least a hundred thousand dollars all you have to do is pick five nfl games against the spread every week climb 
climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool my bookie also has live in-game betting on every nfl game the most rewarding player perks in the business and you can even bet the over under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game join now and you can get up to a one thousand dollar first deposit bonus and double your first deposit use promo code capspace easy to remember because we talk about it all the time here on the program that will activate the offer let them know that you came from us that's my bookie m-y-b-o-o-k-i-e my bookie and don't forget to use that cap space code when creating your account to claim the bonus bet win and get paid at my bookie and don't forget that cap space code so portland is another interesting one here this is another one where i'd like to kind of just let's take the overall temperature of their team did you say and i know they made it to the west finals we've talked ad nauseum about how their bracket was easier and lady luck kind of smiled on them and they barely beat denver anyway they got unceremoniously swept by uh, a warriors team that wasn't at full strength but just in terms of the personnel do you think they got better for this year compared to last year uh, based on these moves and you know certainly there are long-term implications that we'll hit on as well but just as comparing last year's team to this year's team are they a better team this year my instinct is they're a little bit worse the offensive upside is is intriguing i mean losing harkless and aminu offensively those reluctant shooters they you know there were times where the offense really bogged down yeah and they be, got rid of turner be... too i think that does yeah like, and, and, and be baseball better is better than turner. but yeah, they're gonna be better offensively this year i think that's clear to me but the defensive forwards are a big problem I think Whiteside will actually fit pretty well, but will he chafe once Nurkic comes back? Yes, probably if he's still on the team. And, you know, Anthony Tolliver, I've liked him for a while. I'm still technically the Archbishop of the Church of Azonia, so they have those pieces, but it's a strangely shallow team. And Olshay has bet on his capacity to find bench players and or just the development of the players that they already have. You know, we've seen this with Lehman and so so many other guys over the years stepping into larger roles. And Simon's looked good in summer league. He can do that, but it's... I don't think they're they're better from a personnel perspective, and it's not like where the the Blazers are on the age curve really does them any favors. They don't have a ton of players other than you know guys like Simons who weren't really a part of the rotation last year. Who you think that just maybe Zach Collins that by the passage of time they're going to be there. They're going to be significantly better. Yeah, they and they certainly you know much as they probably they and Blazers fans just got sick of Mo Harkless and Alfred Camino not being able to hit free threes in the postseason. Those guys guys are pretty good defensive players and were a big part of, of what they were doing they gave them credible options against even with kevin durant out of the conference you know and, and they didn't fail against the warriors due to lack of wing options but that's because the warriors didn't have wing options that needed to be guarded because kd was out and same thing with the nuggets they beat the nuggets the nuggets didn't have anyone like that and okay see they're able to get by against a, a limited paul george but there's also a lot of uh, not much spacing there either and george had some big games in that series so yeah i felt you were too harsh on them sometimes about not getting combo forward types who can guard those wings but now i, I think that is a, a very accurate criticism um you know getting white side dame lillard really wanted him trading leonard and harkless for white side i mean I, I think just in terms of the overall talent maybe they lost that trade a little bit but white side does fit into their system maybe he'll have a renaissance in portland it seemed like he'd kind of run his course in miami and with yusuf nurkic gonna be out you know through most of the year and you know frankly if that's the case it's hard to imagine him back at full strength by the playoffs maybe they need needed someone like that they also got pau gasol who again will fit into the system if he can stay healthy they got a lot of injury risks there now um baysmore for turner that was a win to me uh for sure baysmore is better and a better fit and now you're not again gonna have just these total non-shooters and i think this offense could 
just really blow up having the amount of shooting on the floor that they may have now um but yeah i mean they don't really have an established small forward on the roster anymore which is a little bit of a problem they resigned rodney hood um and also backup point guard is unestablished if they they might go for the lillard and mccollum stagger again and they've got plenty of other shooters and kind of scores around them but that uh that seems like something that's not uh not ideal you know they're gonna be counting on anthony simons the other just massive thing that we have to talk about before getting into grades is the decisions they made to extend damian lillard and cj mccollum so lillard got the four-year supermax extension with a player option on that fourth year 54.3 million projected for 24 25 and then cj had two more years left as well and he got an additional three years and 100 million both of those are just a ton of money for those guys in years where they will be you know prime post prime mostly post prime for for those guys and i'm i'm you know i don't think they're awful or you know haunting or anything like that but i do think that they're negative value and that the blazers had more leverage than maybe they could have used in those circumstances and maybe they were a little a little bit of prisoners of the moment just i mean you have the ownership change and it's certainly it's a positive thing with paul allen's passing that they were willing to to spend this kind of money but there are some real challenges there moving forward so i didn't you know i that, that didn't tank my grade for them but it certainly didn't help what did you end up giving them so i ended up giving them a d and yeah i, it, I was on a c minus uh, as well and, there i mean a, a short version of why i gave them a d is it looks like zach collins is starting a power forward for them and yeah. that is very weird for a team yeah, that Rodney has Hood expectations ronnie hood starting at, at the three at, at, at the three um yeah. they also had they been willing to spend a little more they had full board rights on a menu they could have given him similar money as the magic to give themselves a defensive option now they would have had to pay up but uh we'll see you know maybe kent baysmore ends up starting at the three as well but yeah i i, I went with a C minus there myself. All right, how about Sacramento now? I I thought that a lot of what they did in some ways was superfluous. They have built an extremely deep team and their signature move, Harrison Barnes, definitely was a a lot of money for him, well over 20 million per year for the next four years. But I actually ended up giving them a, a positive grade because I think they, especially for a team that's not been a cap space destination, they at least got a fair number of quality players on the team, some depth, some guys with some two-way ability. And so I ended up giving them a B minus. That's interesting. That's a little bit stronger than me. I ended up at a C minus. A part of that is just that I don't I don't love the Harrison Barnes contract. And but I am very excited that they front loaded it. That makes the deal look a lot better because Sacramento had more cap space than they knew what to do with in 2019. And so then that means in 2022, instead of being more in the like 24, 25 million dollar range, it's 18.4. So that's a lot more manageable. I also like that the eight figure deal to the player I like the least, Trevor Reza has the least money after this season he's only has 1.8 million owed after 1920 that's a good thing but the the overall part of it for me that was that was a little bit challenging and i think i would have looked at sacramento's offseason more fondly were it not for some of the other moves that some cap space teams did for example the harkless trade you know like would i rather have mo harkless and a first round pick than trevor reza on the contract they got yes <laughs> like that that's not even a, really a question and memphis with iguodala iguodala is somebody that the kings had pursued in the past he he's better than some of their options but again not not doing the best possible thing with your cap space isn't as big of a deal and also like sacramento was in this weird place because they didn't have a lot of other things to do they didn't have any didn't have their first round pick they ended up getting 
Kyle Guy with 55. They move down, and I also don't like it when a team moves down just for cash. I'm always a little bit queasy in that sort of a circumstance. But yeah, I mean, Joseph Dedman, Ariza, and Holmes replacing Colley Stein, Frank Mason, and Alec Burks. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty significant upgrade. One other thing we should talk about is how do you feel about the coaching change? I think it's probably going to be a positive. Obviously, the allegations against Walton are disturbing. That's a can't really make that part of this that nobody knew about that uh, when the hire was made but and it remains to be seen the the truth or not of those allegations but Jaeger did an awesome job last year I think from a tactical perspective but from a relationship standpoint it was clear that things had kind of run their course and at least when they moved on from Jaeger they knew Walton was going to get fired they had a ready replacement in mind and Walton is going to continue with his philosophy some of the best aspects of what Jaeger was doing in terms of pushing the ball up the floor with the De'Aaron Fox it definitely is a, so I, I would rate that a slight positive and let me ask you this rank the new guys that they added Joseph Debin, Ariza and Holmes combination of player and contract how would you rank those even though he's a center, I think I like Deadman the best yeah. because talented, talented player. I like the the. I think the Hawks are going to miss him a lot. Talented defensively and has a credible shot, which could really benefit the Kings. I think having him defensively is really going to benefit them. I probably go Joseph second. I mean, I, I've I've liked him as a backup guard. You know, more of a backup than a starter. But forty eight minutes are really important at the position and two guaranteed years and then a, a fairly light partial guarantee and then. Wait, did you say Ariza and Barnes or just just Ariza? Uh, yeah, no, just the guys they retained. Ariza, Holmes being the last. Oh, guy. Ariza, or, sorry, Holmes. Not, just the guys they added. I should. Okay, say. so I would go Holmes over Ariza mostly because he's making a lot less money. But those two are probably pretty close. I think Holmes, to me, he's more of a third center than a second center. It also looks kind of like what Sacramento's thinking. And Ariza, I mean, maybe he's less washed than he looked like last year, but he looked pretty washed last year. Yeah, uh, that's a hope. But you know, again, it's low risk, and it, and it is a guy with uh a three and d resume tough guy to grab i'm sure there was competition for his services i I think just overall they've laid a foundation for getting a lot better defensively this year with deadman at the five ariza Corey joseph all those guys are pretty good defenders holmes is not really but holmes and getting him as a you know maybe a a below average backup center as i put him an above average offensive backup center but he has some ability if that's what they want to play at that position I mean, he's also gonna be competing with harry giles and deadman and then they got bagley they might want to give some minutes at center two also so holmes is kind of more of a depth piece at this point in time they did sign him for two years but there seemed to be a clear plan here as well to still have space in 2021 although you know we'll see if that remains with some of the extensions that they still have to do or not yeah, like do buddy buddy healed which will be a big factor in this grade eventually but we don't know what happened yet so we can't factor yeah. that in and Bogdanovich uh, one, one is thing, also extension eligible as well he's eligible but the terms there might make it a little bit harder it's possible but and, yeah, and we'll see yeah. i have no idea what the league thinks of that guy i think he's pretty that's good, true but I, I really like him and we'll he, he's gonna be a part of the feeble world cup he might end up getting some getting some attention with a with a good performance there and one thing that i didn't like too much about sacramento offseason i fully support them getting a center of the present because 
I think they needed it. Yeah, but my... and Deadman can shoot. He's got versatility. Yeah, like, exactly. He's a two way center. I think for mm-hmm. now he's at the lower end of the guys. You can legitimately make an argument of him being a two way center. But his ability to either roll to the basket or pop and defend his position. I mean, that's I ranked him higher than a lot of guys. But I, I thought that was not terrible value on a three year deal, uh, averaging around thirteen. But the last year non guaranteed. Agreed. I and and I'm echoing all of that. The one thing I didn't like though was with getting Holmes as well makes it harder to play Bagley at center and I'm not sure what he is you know I'm still figuring that out sort of like John Collins and a few other guys but sometimes when you stack it one one way it makes it harder to evaluate and so I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that though it's not like they invested so much in Rashawn Holmes that especially considering Bagley is significantly more important to their future that they're going to do it but sometimes when you pay a guy five mil that puts that kind of tells the coaching staff hey we're thinking of it you know him being a part of the I mean I mean it's the room exception it's basically you know no cost to them um well yeah, except, I, I, yeah. yeah. they could have well, gone so, with somebody a different spot i guess but they're pretty yeah. deep everywhere yeah i mean i think he's gonna kind of be in like the kylo quinn role from last year's pacers another that guy could be. with the rings but the more i think about it with deadman if you're gonna say hey bagley we're gonna play him at the four for now Deadman to me of the guys on the market you know other than maybe like a brooke lopez who they weren't gonna be in competition for was probably the best possible fit next to him because he can space the floor some offensively and block some shots be a solid he's not an unbelievable defender but he's decent defensively provides some rim protection next to Bagley and then you know if you want to go with a Bielitsa next to him he can play inside run pick and roll and get to the basket for finishing as well so I, I that is a signing that I was Again, maybe you could say that's an overpay. I I don't necessarily feel that way, especially with only the two years. So one of the other players that Sacramento is rumored to be going after was Vooch. And Vooch got four years, $100 For Sacramento's purposes, I much prefer Deadman at his price than Vooch at his. Yeah. Now you could say, hey, maybe they should have gone after Vooch and offered him thirty million a year. And you know, Corey Joseph, they already have Yogi Ferrell. What do you need him for? And Trevor Ariza, he's pretty redundant and he's old. So you just throw that money at, at Vucevic. You know, Holmes doesn't really matter in that because he was the room exception anyway. Um, so maybe you could say that, but I still think Vooch. You know, they would have been overpaying this this way. You're not so invested when you don't know what Bagley and Giles are yet. You know, Bagley I'm higher on than Giles, but they're going to want to get have both those guys get some time probably at center. So uh, and Deadman is a guy who you know isn't going to have a massive ego about playing 30 minutes a game the way some other guys might have. So I thought it worked out pretty well for them. I mean, Barnes is tough. I mean, there are some who will tell you, based on some of the impact metrics, that Barnes is, you know, not even a $10 million a year player, and maybe even worse than that. I, I don't see it that way, but there's also the issue that he's really his best position is the four, and like so many teams, they're, he's running into competition there from more traditional power forwards. But, you know, Barnes, I think he's hard-pressed to defend the three as your starter there. Maybe he'll lose time to Ariza, possibly. So that is an overplay. They could use, though, his isolation scoring. They We did not see him do that. i think his usage in sacramento is like 16 percent, and there's more miles to feed than ever there so I, i'm not sure i mean he he does have an issue where he's not a great defender and is not the most efficient maybe he can move into more of a golden state type of role but i still think you know again what else were you doing with that money they did they got good players and they didn't give them awful contracts maybe with the exception of barnes we'll see but he's at least declining so uh, I think they did okay. It wasn't world changing, but given some of what they've done in free agency in the past, and that other than Barnes, they didn't really hamstring themselves longer than two years. Uh, 
I, I think they did well. That's why I went with the B minus. Uh, are is you the biggest reason you're kind of below water there, below average with a, a C minus Barnes? Yeah, Barnes is a big part of it, and that they didn't extract assets for any of that kind of stuff. I mean, like they they could have yeah. gotten because there were some teams that did very well. I mean, even something yeah. like the Allen. Now Crab. keep in mind that you know if you're going to say that they should have done that, they weren't going to get as much as Memphis in theory because sure. that that adds in another bidder and you know well it's certainly not a perfect market in terms of knowledge there you would imagine that they would have said oh hey well if you're going to give that to memphis well why don't you give us less and we'll take them you know so yeah fair fair point but you know still and but the Barnes yeah, thing is a big I, and i see your point too it's just important to remember that it's not like you know yes. four teams could have made the exact same deal as memphis could have. exactly it's not it's not like that player was available at number three and you just chose not to take him there there are ancillary effects of a new team entering the market well, to, yeah, yeah, speaking of new teams entering the market, that's a good way of talking about San Antonio. Yeah, I mean, it does oh, seem Lord. like they largely treaded water here. Uh, but I did go with a B- because I thought that they had one of the best value signings in Damari Carroll. Certainly an older player. Can't play that many minutes, but he was one of maybe three or four legitimate three and d small forwards on the market and yeah you might say he's better at the at the four now and he's not quite strong enough to guard the best guys but still i mean those just those players come to premium and two years at the mid-level they ended up going a third non-guaranteed year from a small guarantee i think so they could do the sign and trade that worked out pretty well to me um and then i thought their draft was uh, kelton johnson at 29 i think he can contribute we talked about him a couple episodes ago Saminich has some tools i think he's well equipped to thrive in the spurs system if they can kind of get him up to speed um bring back rudy gay was totally fine i'm sure they had competition there and uh you know the biggest thing i would downgrade them for is uh davis Burton's and just you know losing him essentially for nothing replacing him with trey lyles that's a clear downgrade after marcus morris backed out on him yeah it sucks that they're the worst thing they did was be a victim of circumstance because they made the bertans trade thinking that marcus morris was done and in fact was not done and you know, that, that's not really their fault i guess you could say that they that they've consummated the trade before the other thing was finalized that, that that's a little bit of weakness but it all kind of set and set each other into place i like the damari carroll deal i'm a little bit lower on it so i ended up with a C minus and the big reason why is just the question of whether Samanich over Brandon Clark and Matisse Thibel ends up being there I agree with you that Samanich is a good fit for the Spurs but if one or both of those guys end up being significantly better basketball players then that's that's a pretty big weakness they yeah. also could have moved up in my opinion to get Seku or somebody like that which who I think would have made an even bigger difference it wasn't that big of a jump to get to 14 or 13 something yeah, in that range they had they had 19 and 29 right so it seems reasonable that they could have that they could have moved up a few slots in that case especially if the celtics were really in on romeo langford who i don't think had necessarily that huge constituency they could have maybe done something something along those lines so I, I think that it's going to depend a lot on that draft class. It will also depend on what happens with DeMar DeRozan. If they agree to an extension before the season, that will count in the offseason grades when we look back. We don't know that yet, obviously, so that's going in. And, you know, the rebounding with Trey Lyles, I, 
they didn't pay him a ton of money. There's only 1 million guaranteed after this year. I just don't think I, I'm lower on him than you are. I wonder where he fits in the rotation. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan there either. I think, he, okay. you know, he's, he, he's got a chance to show off some scoring ability, but well, you know, his upside is backup power forward and, and Rudy he's Gay, too bad defensively. I, I think it, I think it was a little bit too much for Rudy Gay, but not catastrophic or anything silly like that. It was just, you know, like whether that and, and 2020, if, yeah. if DeRozan the, opts two in two years, 29 million. For yeah. If, if DeRozan opts in, if they keep LaMarcus because they'd rather have him at 24 million, which I expect as of this moment, then they're not losing that much in terms of 2020 salary and flexibility. So it's not, it's not that big of a deal, but oh, and then the other thing that's going to factor in that we don't know yet. The San Antonio's grade could shift a lot over by the regrade because they also have extension negotiations with DeJounte Murray and Jakob Pertl, which we're not considering. So things could move a lot over the next 10 months from where they are right now. But yeah, I, I, so I end up going with a C minus and a lot of it's going to depend on how their draft guys look. And I like both of them, but I ha- end up liking a, two of the guys drafted right after Samanich a lot more. So I, I downgrade them a little bit for that. Yeah, they also announced that RC Buford is being promoted into more of a business-centric role. Their uh, Brian Wright, who joined the organization in 2016, is going to be more of the full-time GM at this point. A cynic might note that 2016 is kind of where some of their moves maybe started going off the rails a little bit. Um, and the loss of Bertans may end up really hurting them. I think that he was a big part of why their bench unit, which is really what drove their success last year. If you look at the plus minus of their starters, not really amazing, especially when they're playing with the starting group. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I went with the B minus because they did retain guys. I thought their draft was fine and getting Carroll was an addition to fill maybe their biggest need, which was at the three. Now, if they can actually play a three without having to play DeRozan at the three, that's a, another question. Yeah, I, I remain to think that I would like this team a lot more if DeRozan were not on it, especially with some of the young talent that they now have in the backcourt. All right, let's uh, finish up here. Uh, oh, and, and once again, I had a B minus, you had a C minus? That is correct. So okay. we can we can go to the Jazz. We already talked about the Connolly trade in this in this episode. And but quickly, Crowder, Corver, Allen, Grayson Allen, twenty three, and a future Utah first for Mike Conley. They also traded Derek yeah, lottery Favors. Lottery protected by the lottery way, right? protected. Yeah. yeah, traded Derek Favors for two Warrior seconds. We'll see how that goes. And then they signed Bojan Bogdanovic, Ed Davis, Jeff Green, Emmanuel Mudiay, and then a bunch of kind of guys on the fringe. We'll we'll see if any of those work out. And they lost in addition to the guys we mentioned, Ricky. Rubio, Hull Neto. So I think where I want to start with the Jazz is I don't think people have appreciated when I've heard the conversation about them, how big of a bet this is. Like this isn't, they they really changed this team. And it's not only the Conley decision, but paying Bogdanovich as much as they did, four years, 71 million. And then as a part of that, sacrificing Derek Favors and some of their, you know, their forward depth as a part of the Conley trade. Yeah, that to me was one of the main inflection points of their offseason, the Conley trade being the other one, which we can hit on here. I mean, I think, you know, he was, they needed another ball handler. That was clear. He can also shoot and play off the ball. He's a great fit next to Mitchell, great leader, solid defensively, although slowing down a little bit there. Uh, They gave up a little more maybe than might have been expected, but the the odds are they didn't give up any particular asset better than a, a first rounder in the 20s. Um, it would have been nice if they could have figured out a way to hold on to Jay Crowder and include Dante Exum in that deal instead. Uh, and then maybe there wouldn't have been this desperate need to get Bogdanovich. But that's what I was getting to here is they essentially 
decided, okay, we're going to, you know, I, I don't really throw the two seconds into it, but with this big of a, a move, we can just give up Derek Favors and then use that space almost exactly to sign Bogdanovich to that four-year, $71 million deal. Or we could have just held on to Favors, who's making $17 million for one year. And then maybe we would have used the Ed Davis slot at, at with the room exception to try and go get, you know, your Garrett Temple type another wing player instead and i'm not sure that it's good i mean their defense is clearly going to take a step back their bench units are clearly going to take a step back ed davis is a very good player but he's not the defender that Derek favors has evolved into i think he's not quite as good of a finisher either better offensive rebounder if the jazz allow him to do that um so that's a clear downgrade at backup center but we always say hey backup centers uh, are you can find and, and they did a good job getting davis for the room exception for two years um and Bogdanovich, they just needed someone who could shoot the ball. It seems like maybe a little bit of an overreaction to the fact that they couldn't make a jump shot against Houston last year. And for a 30-year-old, $17 million a year coming off a career year. But you do know at least he, he's probably going to be able to shoot the ball. And you just hope that Rudy Gobert can hold up. So I... I th- I think it was the right move there to kind of just make that trade and get Bogdanovich and pay him, even though it could end up a rough contract at the end. But the time is now for this group. You mentioned the bet Conley's age, Gobert, even, you know, is probably right around his prime. I mean, Mitchell is really the only guy that's younger right now. And hopefully he can take enough of a step forward in his third year to be a premium player. And, but this is, you know, these next two years are really probably their best shot with this group of making a run to the finals. So I think they, I think it's the right move. And then if you got to eat it on the back end with Bogdanovich, so be it. Another player to mention in the old, kind of older than you think because he took so long to get in the league is Joe Ingles. Ingles turns 32 before the start of the season. Yeah. So wh- how how he ages there may be part of the idea of Bogdanovich is that as he ages, he can become the next Joe Ingles and they have to find one forward instead of two, which is certainly a fair argument. And eventually, they were they were going to need to replace Jay Crowder soon enough anyway. He had There were times last year where he disappointed the, yeah, I mean, the I other... would have, I would have just liked them having a little bit more rugged of a defensive option at the four. If well, Donovan just more, more versatility. Them. Like th- that's yeah. one of the most striking things about the Jazz right now is just that they don't have that many looks because I don't want to play Ed Davis with Rudy Gobert. So that your center rotation is pretty well spoken for. And then you know Jeff Green doesn't really add much to me. So they don't really have those kind of options, and they don't really have the resources to fundamentally change that picture either. And another factor that that affects that while I, I really enjoy the Conley Mitchell combination I think it could be very good for both guys especially Donovan Mitchell their bench guard situation is pretty ghastly right now Exum still somebody that intrigues me but he can't stay healthy and he's owed a lot of money Moutier showed some flashes at moments yeah. last year but I think generally... Moutier is actually a good fit of just someone who can create a little bit of offense well, on the d- second unit depending but, on but how, they stagger, how they yeah. stagger how they stagger Conley and, and Mitchell if they stagger those guys and give Mitchell the reins then you would want somebody other than Moutier I mean I think Hall Neto is a significantly better player than Moutier and you know it's not like he took a whole lot it's not like he took more money or anything with Philly though maybe they offered a better role and but I mean Utah so now they're they're looking at Exum and Moutier I don't particularly love that combination unless Exum stays reliably healthy and then the wing depth is is questionable they're going to need players like Mie Oni to take a step forward Royce O'Neal O'Neal and Jeff I think they're okay there they're not amazing but I think they're okay there yeah then they're but they're gonna need guys to stay healthy and and we'll see how how rest and all that works so I ended up they were another challenging team I ended up giving them a, a straight B 
and I I think some some will go higher because they're a lot more exciting. They're significantly more interesting. But losing a key piece of their identity, I mean, this puts so much more on Rudy Gobert defensively. It, it, that's a big question. And then, then also the timeline thing if we hear about, you know, like Connolly, they're definitely going to help. And but they'll be kind of a lot of the guys will be aging out as Mitchell is getting closer. And it's I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that, you know, the Jazz, they'll be in the mix in the West this year, which is pretty awesome. And I, I've loved watching them for years and I want to see what Quinn Snyder can do with this kind of talent. But it, it again, giving Bojan Bogdanovic, I mean, he's going to be getting paid basically 19 million in 21 and in 22. And that's, that's an absolute ton. And if the cap kind of keeps going up a little bit and they're probably going to pay Rudy Gobert at, at, during that time as well. And Donovan Mitchell is going to get his raise too. So it's, I, I think that it's a little bit weaker in the present and a little bit weaker in the future, but still a positive overall. Yeah, I, w- I went B plus. I, I think really the only part of it that I question was favors for Bogdanovich that essential trade and to give Bogdanovich the four years as well. But I mean, part of the problem is favors. If you kept him, then you weren't going to have space in the summer of twenty twenty anyway. There's limited options uh, available there. You would have to re-sign favors. He probably would try to get out of there and go somewhere we could start. He just didn't have that option in the limited twenty eighteen market. So Bogdanovich at least was someone in in kind of a use it or lose it cap space situation that they could have as part of their team going forward. Now his effectiveness may decline, but I ultimately come down on the side that that was the, the right move to do to move on from favors and side and Bogdanovich. So yeah, B plus there is some risk there that Bogdanovich contract is not amazing, but ultimately I think I would have ended up doing just about all the moves that they did. So uh, B plus, I mean, it's, you know, some of these are not home runs. They gave up maybe a little more than you would have liked for Conley, but I think it's all going to work out pretty well uh, for them. And, you know, certainly in the regular season playoffs, I have a few more question marks about this team. Uh, anything that you want to talk about before we go here? We still got Ben coming on here in a second. I'll mention that you can listen to the new Real Jam Radio, continuing the division preview podcast. So you can check that out in the podcast player for choosing. All right. We're finally going to have a chance to finish out the Summer League prospect review here with our director of basketball research, Ben Dull, who's going to join us for the Charlotte Hornets, the Indiana Pacers, OKC Thunder, and Minnesota Timberwolves. So some interesting prospects uh, on there. Ben is now based in Las Vegas, uh, had a chance to check these guys out and do some film work. Uh, how's it going here for your maiden voyage on the pod? Yeah, it's. Uh, I've been text. I've been texting Liam a lot. He said he was, uh, you know, trying to trying to do him proud, stepping in with. Uh... <laughs> yeah big big shoes to fill uh but you know i I know uh with uh, all the work you've done you're you're well up to it so let's uh talk about the charlotte hornets first and their most interesting prospect with number 12 overall pick pj washington not playing due to injury it was miles bridges what did you see from him so just charlotte in general to me like was of my four teams like uh, they were the most exciting to watch even with washington not playing and they just ran a lot of quick stuff on offense like they ran that screen the Bucks always ran to get a guy like a quick three in the top of the key or a, a quick small small pick and roll uh to get to get just like a mismatch and attack it but Bridges didn't quite get involved in that as much like as I would have hoped like he kind of had to have the ball already for him to get involved in that stuff but he kind of you know it was, it was kind of like it was kind of 50 50 like sometimes he would kind of do a nice job kind of just playing some bully ball getting a smaller guy into the lane and finishing over him but then kind of the flip side of that was you know, if he's shooting like an eight, nine foot jump hook, that's just kind of a tough shot to live on. 
But outside of that, you know, he had one he had one game where the three was really falling, but overall, you know, it was there was nothing amazing there with the three. So just you know, the the bully ball stuff there was interesting, but it would have been nice to see them kind of flush that out a little bit more and give him more chances given like just what else was on the roster. Yeah, it's interesting. There's Danny and I were talking about this on the last show. You can kind of have two approaches for your players in summer league. One is, and I think this is better for rookies, is let's just try to put you in the role that you're going to maybe succeed in at the NBA level. And then maybe your second year, third year in summer league, we can let you spread your wings a little bit, do more on-ball stuff. But we didn't really see that from Bridges at all. It seemed like, yeah, not very much. And and like you said, like maybe that's maybe that's ultimately going to pay off. Just having him do more the kind of things he will do at the NBA level, even with the team not obviously being amazing right now, but just camping out in the corners and just trying to be opportunistic when he can get a smaller guy on him. But you know, it was it was a pretty it not to say this not to say this in too negative of a light, but kind of a pedestrian summer league for the most part. Yeah, you would hope that someone like him uh, would pop a lot. Now, I don't think there was anyone thinking like, oh, this guy's going to be the next great scorer. But uh, did you see much of an impact from him? You know, Because it's really his athleticism where you hope he's going to be able to make plays defensively in transition. Was he able to use that to great effect? He did have in transition that one awesome, just like really powerful, like kind of Euro step windmill that I'm sure everyone listening to this has seen by now. But outside of that, in transition, not a ton. Uh, defensively, like the few things I wrote down were just, you know, a couple of times he kind of just got, got blown by, was a little, was a little jumpy on closeouts, but, uh, nothing, not, nothing other than that. Yeah, and this is really the time for someone like him to start transitioning that potential into actual production on the defensive end. He certainly has the tools. He's strong. He's athletic. But if he's going to take the next step and be a quality player this season, he's going to have to shoot the ball and he's going to have to defend. And it sounds like, you know, it's rather middling uh, from those perspectives. And he was only four out of 16 from three. You know, last, last summer league, he actually got up 30 three-point attempts, uh, one fewer game this time around. But he wasn't really like bombing from the outside either. So it doesn't seem like there's any reason to feel, I mean, not poorly about him. Obviously, it's just a summer league, but nothing special about what he did here. Yeah, and the one thing was like with the point guard play, like, Devonte graham like who we're gonna get to i'm sure like i thought like his best best moments were like shooting the ball whereas like i thought like joe chile like did a little bit better of a job just kind of like running the team and like really getting into the lane so there also weren't like a ton of opportunities where he was like getting set up to you know really have like an advantage to attack or or to get like a ton of clean catch and shoot looks yeah well that may be the case uh, on charlotte's regular team <laughs> as well this year uh, let's talk about graham though uh Really interesting performance statistically. 10 of 26 from downtown took 26 of his 39 field goal attempts from out there. He was only 3 out of 13 from 2. What did you see from him this summer league? Yeah, the, the, the two-pointers, it was just like, it just had to subsist on like a lot of floaters if he was really going to do damage there. Just not getting all the way to the rim, not being like incredibly explosive. So I didn't really see like a lot of room for that to have gone much better than it did. I think that was part of the reason, just like that that main starting group when they played together, like those other guys around him, like weren't able to get maybe as many threes as you would have hoped for. But with the threes, like he was aggressive, like pulling pretty much at every chance, just like off the dribble, out of pick and roll, we had a chance. Like they ran that that head tap play a little bit. He got a couple of looks out of that, but just he was really aggressive with that and 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 did what obviously wasn't really turning down threes. And I would, I mean, that's probably like the the avenue for him to really be an interesting player is if he's going to be really aggressive hitting those threes and actually actually making him at a high clip against NBA competition. 
Yeah, 26 three-point attempts uh, in three games, uh, which was all he played, is a ton. And yeah, it was really looks like transition was uh, the big focus for him. 14 transition possessions in three games is also pretty good. You know, it looks like we didn't see a lot of him operating out of pick and roll running the team, though, uh, other than just getting to his own offense from the three-point line. Yeah, he was. He was uh, the one thing that was interesting was like he was pretty willing. Um, and I, I don't I mean it's not like he he was pretty willing, just kind of being involved in those small, small pick and rolls. And, and Dwayne Bacon was usually one who was like the the beneficiary of that. Like he would he was really willing. Like every time he was in the corner, he would set that and then pop out quickly to kind of to kind of induce that as well as he could. So and and like pairing that with the shooting, like that's that was kind of the most interesting thing. Yeah, do you think he projects to uh, be part of their rotation this year and well, perhaps more accurately be a solid part of, of their rotation this year because it does look like he's pretty much slated as the backup point guard right now. I I think like I think getting a look at like the sh- the the shooting off the dribble is like interesting for them with where they're at. So I think for that reason, like it, it seems like it'd be worth it with where they're at to at least just like get a look at that and give him like a real chance to prove whether or not he can hit those shots. Um, and and but if that if that isn't going to be there, it's hard to see like where like another area where he's going to just be so good that it just he just kind of demands to be on a roster. How about the aforementioned Bacon? So so Bacon was was kind of was interesting to watch because he was really looking to attack when he got kind of a smaller guy and he like kind of got into two point range a lot and it, like a lot of those shots I was kind of just wondering like you know substitute NBA guys in here and like is he even really getting these off cleanly when just everyone's a little bit bigger whereas you know at his size like he's kind of he was just just bigger and able to rise up despite not being like really explosive like with that with that jump when he pulls up so it's those were hard were kind of hard to wonder if those are going to fall and, and and getting all the way to the rim he had some moments where he did like make some nice like reads to like when to like extend to try to finish around a guy but the touch just isn't there a lot of them were just kind of too hard off the glass so i think that's kind of the one area where like you hope it comes along and maybe that's kind of just like the one thing where if he progresses enough then it really can really help him out yeah, another guy, do you, I mean, the thing that's always bothered me about Bacon is just not really looking to shoot the three very much. So, so did we see any of that from him this year? Or was it more kind of the same thing we've been seeing where he's just using his size, getting to the, the mid-range pull-up or maybe the floaters? Uh, did we see much beyond that from him? Yeah, we. It's, I mean, he got, he was looking to get some of them up, but it was definitely, you could tell, like he just, he like you said, he wanted to use his size. He wanted to kind of, get a shoulder into a guy and kind of get into the lane and and you know i just i don't know if he has like a quick enough of a release and maybe some of that's just his confidence or just what he wants to do uh instead but i think like if the release were a little quicker uh that would probably help him out but it doesn't look like that's that's it doesn't look like that's transitioned to becoming like a, a much bigger part of his game yeah bacon did a, at the nba level shoot 44 percent from downtown but only 87 attempts in his 758 minutes and in summer league here again he did get up four a game which is progress but only 24 percent from downtown uh anyone else you looked at on charlotte so it was charlotte was funny because they had the they had a couple mitch kupchak had a couple like ex north carolina guys who were like their centers and they got like the the uh like memorial post-ups to start every game but uh i was (laughs) I was kind of drawn to them too because like they had a couple of these Mountain West guys who I've 
watched a lot last couple of years in Jalen McDaniels and Cody Martin. Uh, and Caleb Martin was signed, but he was hurt, so he didn't play at all. But uh, McDaniels, like, is he's like really interesting if he can just like hit catch and shoot threes. And he was kind of touch and go like on closeouts, either just like being really handsy, which just like with his athleticism and his like he's got decent lateral quickness, like he doesn't need to rely on that. So like he had some moments where he could really like smother a guy when he was actually playing, just keeping his body in front. But and some some not, like you can tell and like having watched a lot of San Diego State, like you can tell he hasn't played a lot. Like you know, stand at the three point line, make a quick decision. You know, like he played so much out of the mid post, and that's like stuff he's not really going to do. So that was that was also really fifty fifty two. Just sometimes like making a quick decision, other times just kind of out of control. And then and then Martin, like I thought was just interesting like if he makes his threes like maybe he has a chance as like a three and d guy like you could just tell on defense like it was it was kind of fun to see like a guy who like really kind of owned like calling the shots and like you could tell he was communicating like making sure everyone knew where to be and then he was flying around nicely to just cover guys up and and get there in time and, and run people off the line yeah and uh, martin did end up getting uh, two guaranteed years in fact about $300,000 more than the minimum in this first year and then goes on to a, a third non-guaranteed year. Always interesting to see what kind of contracts that these guys drafted uh, after the first round or, or signed as undrafted. End up getting uh, ready to move on to Indiana or was there anyone else you, you looked at? Yeah, let's move on to Indiana. All right, so Aaron Holiday was the featured name there. They did end up signing a little later in free agency, TJ McConnell, but Holiday looks like the guy they would prefer to earn that backup point guard slot. Do you think he is ready for that based on what you saw in summer league? So he didn't shoot great from the field. Uh, from three, it was seven to 26. He was looking for those pull-up threes, but in pick and roll, the key for him was kind of like he needed his guy to really step out to guard him so then he could like get that screen way up high and then kind of get a head start going because outside of that he didn't have very many very many great moments uh struggled to finish uh with with bodies in the area around the rim he did have a couple plays though where like he just like made a quick decision like more like side pick and roll dho game like he had one nice play like with alizé johnson where just got it out really quickly with two guys in his face and that ends up set that sets up and it ended up setting up a three but the the pick and roll game it's just it's at his size i don't know if he's going to finish well enough and just being able to find like shooting windows unless like i said like he can get that screen really up high yeah and you mentioned the finishing struggles only eight out of 22 around the rim in the half court that's not amazing and the floater game wasn't working either he's 0 for 4 from there so yeah it was a, a real struggle in terms of his efficiency i do think you know this wasn't a roster that had a ton of spacing on it necessarily and that's not something that they have particularly prized just overall in their system so he, he may actually find it a little easier at the nba level um did you look much at his defense defense at all I, I always felt like he had pretty good tools he's a holiday he's got the long arms uh but last year's summer league he really struggled to me defensively how do you look on that because i think that's going to be a big part of earning a role uh especially when mcconnell is his competition yeah with with him as his competition like comparably i don't he didn't really pop a ton i would say i would just kind of run back like what what was said last year for the most part yeah uh 
All right. Well, that's a little. I mean, I think you know we'll see what he looks like at the NBA level. I mean, he's had. He's a guy who kind of he looks better out there than his stats end up being a lot of times. Like he's got you know some pop to his game. He's a, a physical player. He gets into the lane. Jump shot looks good. He's aggressive with it. But then you look down and you know he shot three out of out of 10 that game you know so uh we'll see he's just gonna have to find a way to be a little bit more efficient i do think he has some of the raw tools there just whether is the ball going to go in the basket for him uh, or not uh goga Bitadze did not play in summer league uh, what about uh, edmund sumner so sumner just had that that one game uh shot one for seven from the field uh oh for three from deep like he had one where like you know there's like a pin in screen for him so it was like it was just like nice to see him like like looking for that kind of attempt and getting it up but it just the one game played 20 minutes just it was it was hard to hard to take a lot out of that yeah you know jay michael who's a opinion i respect a lot uh the pacers beat writer uh, he's been telling me for a long time that sumner is really going to be a player i I haven't quite seen that uh, happen yet uh but he is going to be on the big club uh, this year and uh alizé johnson who was taken with the 50th pick in the draft uh, a season ago out out of missouri state now 23 years old 6'9 kind of thin but he's got an interesting game yeah and he was he was fun to watch because he had had those couple of games where basically like everyone was sitting out so it was it was fun to watch those and like just kind of lock in on him i thought like he had like some really interesting moments defensively just kind of like like good awareness away from the ball like one of his like a guy got back cut on the backside and like he ended up like reacting like in time to just like get in there and totally break it up and force a turnover um he like he does get he, like it looks good when he gets in a stance but he is like I said, with like with Jalen McDaniels, like it, like a couple of times he got a little handsy, and it almost looks like that's like he's like putting himself off balance by kind of relying on that too much instead of just staying in front of people. Where he had some some good moments when he slid his feet and just relied on you know getting up to to contest when his guy got into the lane. But I mean, I think obviously like the big the big question is him is like if he's going to be able to make some threes or not. Yeah, I mean he is a wonderful wonderful rebounder for his size but he really has uh, the game of a four and maybe even closer to a five in some ways uh but and you know he weighs a little over 200 pounds at, at six nine so he, he definitely rebounds um but you didn't see much from him uh, from the outside at this point in time yeah he i mean he had like like he had one like they ran that head tap play and like he got the three up and like they, oh so they actually ran that for him well I, I had one where like i really like i wrote that down um yeah i mean, had, well, I mean that's still even that's something <laughs> i mean i yeah. guess they're trying to maybe they're trying to just let him uh expand his game a little bit but uh yeah, yeah and that's he, it he did he, hit he got up he shot 15 threes uh, in five games so uh didn't make any of them but that's uh that's something yeah and he did hit one pick and pop three like that would have been the one thing is like maybe it would have been fun to see him a little bit more and pick and roll with Holiday with a chance to be like, you know, the four on three guy or make a decision. And he hit one of them where he had like a ton of time to wind it up. But outside of that, like they put him at the elbow a couple of times to kind of like, like almost run like some like four one type pick and roll stuff, but wasn't able to really like to just like totally overwhelm someone with that. Just kind of had to get into a tough hook shot. But just overall, like I think every area, like there was every area of his game there was definitely like something promising that you saw but but i think the it all, it's all going to come come back to the shot 
Yeah, and about three a game is what he took in the G League. Did hit 38% uh, on 95 attempts there. So maybe some hope. But I think it's really going to come down to, you know, his offense, maybe getting some offensive rebounds here and there is going to be adequate at best. And, you know, can he be a solid addition on the defensive end is what's going to make or break his career. He's, he is fully guaranteed, however, uh, for this season. Anyone else on the Pacers or do you want to move on here? Yeah, we'll move on. Uh, let's go to Minnesota now. Jarrett Culver did not play uh, as none of the players involved in that trade with the Suns ended up playing ultimately. Uh, so uh, what did you see from the rest of their guys? Who do you want to start with here? Uh, so starting with Josh Okogi, uh, just like, like obviously like defensively, just like some really fun moments. Like one that stood out for me was like his guy cut a DHO and he kind of got, he got going towards the rim and he had him beat and just his ability to just like recover and just like, w- like wait on the ball, you know, wait on the guy to get the shot up and just get it at its highest point is just, that's just like really fun to watch. And, you know, o- offensively, like he was like, he did get up some interesting looks like coming off of screens. Like he stepped into uh one pretty deep one, you know, behind the line with confidence and knocked it down. But it was, it was you know, the, there was a lot of the kind of, you know, for such an explosive guy, he likes to kind of like, at times he kind of gets stuck, like trying to like meander and like try these spin moves. But when he's not going at full speed, like he doesn't really get anywhere. So like some of those plays like weren't like just kind of, I don't know, were kind of discouraging to see because just like when he goes and makes a quick decision, he's just so tough to contain. Yeah, and obviously it starts with the the defense for him, and I think you know he can really be a difference maker on that. I mean, people remember I think he blocked one of James Harden's step back threes in a crucial moment last year. Uh, but he he did take a slight step back. He shot twenty nine point eight percent from the field last summer league and twenty nine point seven percent from the field this <laughs> summer league. So he's really trending in the, in the wrong direction. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it just seems like it, and you know it was below thirty percent from three with the big club last year and that's just going to be the question i mean he's a two guard you, you just even you know someone like marcus smart seems like he's well ahead of where a kogi is uh, from a, an offensive standpoint um and you know kogi's going to be a very good defender but i don't know if he's going to be quite at smart's level smart brings some playmaking that a kogi doesn't so he, he's just gonna to have to get better offensively yeah and to the to the playmaking and like he did like he did have one play and i think this kind of like ties in with like attacking quickly and making quick decisions like once he just like took it down the baseline and like his ability to like get up and hang in the air like he made a really nice play to kind of look off that guy on the backside and kind of got him to show his hand and go towards the corner and that set up a clean diagonal pass to uh to Keita Bates job for a three so so plays like that like if he like because he can really force people to like come over and show early because he can just get up and just throw it down on guys if they're not there in time and and if he can kind of leverage that and kind of pile up more of those plays I think it becomes pretty interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting, too. They ran him off of screens a lot. Synergy has him as 13 possessions coming off screens, and he was 1 for 11 with two turnovers on those plays. <laughs> so, uh, as and spotting up at 13 possessions, he actually looked really good uh, and was able to make those quick decisions, get to the foul line uh, as well. 21 points on 13 spot-up possessions. Uh, although, again, a lot of those were trying to get to the basket uh, out of those uh, other people making uh, the initial play. Uh, so we'll see. You know, I mean, I think the Wolves, uh, it's both a blessing and a curse to have Carl Anthony Towns because you can get away with less shooting on the perimeter because he's so skilled and provides some shooting. But you also would like to see what, Carl Anthony Towns could do if everyone around him could shoot someday. And Okogie, I don't think 
uh, there's a little indication that the jump shot is going to be ready for this season, although I know a lot of Wolves fans uh, are high on him. Uh, Kata Bates Jop, what did we see from him uh, after, you know, the hope was that he, as, as a 23-year-old, would really be ready to contribute last year. That wasn't the case. Uh, any signs from him in Summer League that that could turn around? So he, he did get up five threes a game and made 34% of them. It's... You know, it's it's still a slower release. Like he's it's pretty like he's really low to the ground, so it's not you know it's it's a it's a you know a shot where a lot of people are gonna be able to get back into the play and affect him. But and he not really like super versatile, like being able to run off a screen. So it was more just relying on spot ups and like a couple times like coming down like off the dribble, like nobody really guarded him or there's miscommunication. Like he did, he was looking to pull those too, which was good to just squeeze everything he can out of the shooting, but. When he got inside of the arc, it's just too much reliance on floaters because he just isn't isn't going to get to the rim quick enough. Isn't explosive when he gets there. So as you know, as as a wing type, like if he hits shots, you know that like that at least needs to be the baseline. And like at least in summer league, like he showed you know a little bit of a little bit of versatility. Like I don't know versatility there, but just he was aggressive and and he 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 wanted to pull those every time he was open. He wasn't really hesitating. Yeah, and does he, because uh, I think uh, for him, you know, you mentioned his offensive game is relatively limited. Maybe you hope he can grow into being passable there. But does he profile to you as being able to defend some of the best guys uh, on the wing? Because that with his, you know, he's got a, a pretty good body for that. That seems like the most reasonable path to an NBA career for me with him. For I mean, from what we saw in this summer, I, didn't, I don't think so at all. I mean, he just, he, he really got caught pretty often just like, like, just sitting way too far back against guys and he also got caught he gets caught leaning forward a lot in his stance so he'd be you know he'd be really be like leaning forward and he'd be playing way off of guys so then you know guys would just pull the three on him and he still wouldn't even you know with his relative length like he wasn't really affecting a lot of those shots and then when he was kind of pressed up more he struggled um struggled with guys blowing by him and, and like the the t- the possessions he was on Omari Spellman like that kind of crystallized for me like Spellman just really gave him fits where he just couldn't like stay down on the pump fake and then just contain him like taking him off the dribble a couple of times and yeah Omari Spellman is uh not exactly a speed demon uh demon demon uh <laughs> off <laughs> coming from the three-point line to the basket either yeah so like so like twos and threes that are like darting around screens and then you know catching up with them and, and then contain them like that's you know, going off what we've seen, like seeing stuff like that, you know, seems pretty unlikely at this point. Yeah, Jalen Noel also did not play. Uh, he got a, a one-year guaranteed uh, for $1.4 million, uh, two years non-guaranteed, and then a team option after that. This actually is the Hinky special, which uh, I messed up the other day when Danny and I were talking. So that's about it for the Wolves, right? Unless I'm missing anybody. Yeah, I mean, just Naz Reed really quickly, like... Oh yeah. He like, you know, just he looks looks pretty comfortable getting the three up. Like it's it's uh you know, like he gets it up pretty quickly and like a couple time like uh like once off like setting a stagger and then he was the guy that's like he stepped out for a three. So like being able to integrate like wrinkles like that, like that's kinda interesting, but just you know, like is he is he big enough, is he strong enough? You know, to really like affect plays yeah, at the rim. Read power forward out of LSU uh, was a one and done, but went undrafted. Yeah, so that I mean, it's it's an interesting piece. Obviously, like especially like next to Towns, it'd be nice to to fill in some guys that can shoot up front next to him. But it's 
you know, other than other than the three, nothing really popped with him. All right, let's finish up uh, with the Thunder. Then this is a uh, this is always uh, quite the endeavor. I mean, this is probably you know over a hundred players that we analyze it in this series. I think it took us a total of four episodes here. No, I'm sorry, five. This is the fifth episode that we've had, had to do this on. Uh, but let's finally finish up here with the the OKC Thunder and. Did Darius Basley play? I don't think he did, right? He did play, yeah. Oh, how do you look? So he he was pretty interesting. Like he was playing more as he was playing as you know a three four uh, for the most part. You know, hanging out on the wing, and I thought he had some. He did have some interesting moments as a passer. Like a lot of times, just dribble handoff or side pick and roll, trying to get to the middle, going to his left hand. Uh, you know, he had like a nice like a nice bounce pass hitting the roller in stride. Uh, had a nice, had a really nice lob read, I thought, to get it up there quickly for the guy. Just unfortunately, he wasn't throwing to a guy that could get up for the kind of pass he threw. But obviously, you can expect, uh, you know, him, you know, those are the kind of plays he can make with uh, with some more versatile, uh, versatile leapers. And uh, when he, once he got curled in the lane, had a nice drop off for the big guy. So seeing him make, a, make some plays like on the move was nice because like with his like face up, you know, like, he can he can shake a guy a little bit, but like getting into a mid range jumper, like obviously the it's a very steep climb. If like that's going to be his calling card, yeah. I mean, when I evaluated him at the Hoop Summit last year, you know, he didn't look like your typical big stud one and done player. And then uh, of course he ended up interning for a lot of money uh, with New Balance uh, of all places and still painfully thin listed it at 195 at 6'9 he did put on some weight during and he's pretty young too i mean he just turned 19 in june so he's got time and you know i wouldn't characterize him as you know a great athlete but you know maybe he could be a solid one especially these kind of skinny guys as they fill out you can see a big jump in athleticism i like his feel for the game uh but you know the jump shot from three uh, is certainly something that uh you know it's not close to ready right now i mean i think basley is going to spend uh almost all of his time with the okc blue this year yeah and the the three makes he did have from three all came in the final game one of them he banked it in uh so <laughs> But, you know, like attacking closeouts, like you said with the athleticism, like, you know, there's like one, like a heart attack from the corner, like he's going to his left and like he kind of like got his way between snuck between two guys to get up a reverse with his with his right. But like, that's kind of the play where you'd like to see the guy like really explode um, if he can and just kind of put it on on the guy and just he wasn't able to do it there. Um, you know, got yeah. a little- you know, I, I mean, I think he's he's got to kind of work on his like Anton Jameson like craft finishes around the rim because like you know I'm not sure that he is gonna be like that type of explosive athlete to just go through people uh at any point. Yeah, and it'd be fun. It'd be fun to see the shot come along because he has that really exaggerated pump fake where he just really shows yeah. the ball up high, and he did get some guys on that a couple times, but uh that was about it as far as offense and and his defense with. Like being thin, as you mentioned, like he had like, you know, like a quick like baseline out of bounds play like Gary Trent was able to just like get into a quick turnaround jumper over him where he couldn't really affect it. But then like in the same game, he did like uh, Portland tried to post up Jalen Horde to score on him late in the game and he did kind of hold the ground there. But that's another pretty thin guy going against him. All right, so which of the great athletes who can't shoot uh, on this OKC team uh, would you like to talk about? <laughs> let's uh, Let's go to Diallo next. So he, the matchup with Gary Trent was interesting in that Portland game. Did a pretty solid job chasing him over screens. And I think that it was like that matchup was like a really interesting contrast, you know, between like the guy who can like, you hope can become this, 
you know, versatile shooter scorer versus Diallo, where he, like, on the flip side, like, he had some really nice moments where just his explosiveness and his his kind of strength to finish through contact against a similar size guy, he kind of knocked Trent back to get to either get fouled or, or get some shots up at the rim. And even, even a couple times when he got beat, just his ability to recover, like, once he got back nicely for a rear view contest. And he either, Trent got him once, he almost slipped, uh, or maybe he just kind of dropped him clean, but then his ability to just like from a dead stop to just like get up into the air and to contest the shot. Like, I think that's just like a really interesting contrast between those two kind of players. Yeah. I mean, I've been evaluating him going back to Adidas nations and some of the USA teams. And, you know, he's always been a, a guy who plays hard, who affects the game in ways outside of just, you know, defending his man and, you know, he'll get loose balls, he'll get on the boards, he'll get out in transition. But, uh, I, I mean, the shot numbers do not look great. Uh, as I'm looking at him here, I mean, did it look, did it look any better than, you know, that pretty miserable, I think, uh, from three, he was two out of 13 in four games. Yeah, it's, it's tough to really like his ability to elevate when the ball just isn't going in. And he has that, he has that kind of pause at the top of his shot, um, which, which just doesn't, which it just still doesn't look very good with that with that in there. And there was like even a stretch like when they played Philly, like Philly just put their five on him. And there was a moment where just like they just didn't guard him and left him at the three point line, and he he missed it pretty badly. So that that moment a moment like that is like really isn't very encouraging to see. Yeah, and I mean the numbers in the G League with the big club last year. I mean even his free throw shooting has been you know in the fifty sixty percent type of range. That's about where he was the last two summer leagues as well. So little indication, unfortunately, that that aspect of his game is coming along. Uh, who else did we want to talk about here? So Deontay Burton had like some really fun moments. Like I think if there's like the one highlight you're gonna to point to, like he backed it out against a guy and like it looked like the bench may have like called for him to to take the guy and went between his legs and pulled up the three and like hit it when the guy was backing up but obviously like overall like the the shot hasn't really been there and that's kind of the the one thing you want to see like he also had another one like backpedaling from the block like out to the arc and he and he splashed that one too so like like if you want to look at those two like i guess you can you know there's kind of something there to point to but just like if that if that comes along it's it just he'd be a really fun player because when he kind of gets like a dribble pitch or just tries to back a guy out like he attacks with so much force especially if he's going at like a wing like he can really just knock those guys back and he'd like you know he like he puts like he made some nice reads kicking it out when he drew an extra guy and really puts some zip on those passes so if if that the shooting can kind of come together i think there are some some pieces there that we saw that he could explore even more yeah this was his third summer league he's now 25 years old uh but 6'5", you know, around 250, but pretty darn explosive. That makes him an interesting guy as far as maybe as a defender. You know, did you see anything from that? I mean, obviously the three has got to come along. You know, that drive game is nice, but he's not going to be a primary option. Defensively, was he able to turn that big body into actually stopping people? Didn't see a lot of plays where he really kind of got to the rim in time and just kind of walled guys up with his with his body at the rim a couple of moments where like he switched out onto a quicker guard like one against gary trent and he just got totally blown by um it, it's so it, there weren't there weren't really a lot of moments there to point to uh, so 
what position were they playing him at he was he was a three four yeah yeah that, that makes i mean and you'd hope with his strength and, and athleticism maybe he can hold up there and switch on to smaller players uh danny and i were joking about how it's either like draymond green or jared dudley is always the comp for these guys depending on <laughs> how, how athletic they are but even dudley is a pretty rare player and obviously green is maybe unique in nba history um who else do you want to talk about here so a little bit on lou dort he did have like a really nice stretch against portland uh hit a three in a guy's face off the catch uh pulled another one off the dribble and and then later in that game i thought like one of the more exciting plays i saw from these four teams coming out of the corner attacking a closeout he had this awesome finish with his left hand where he took off from the middle of the lane with a guy like right on his hip the whole time in the air and just finished finished off glass with his left hand on his way down uh so like attacking closeouts i think there's like an interesting player there but he has to obviously like make enough threes for that to work i think he was 31 percent uh from three in college and and of his three of 13 and this one like three of three of his misses were catch and shoots that just like weren't even close yeah and uh i was just in montreal and so i i will continue to express my disappointment that since he's from montreal his last name is not pronounced door uh instead of dort <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it seems like he's uh, you know just a, a physical downhill driver bowling ball type you know more explosive than he looks he's you know what like six four two fifteen two twenty um so that aspect of his, his game is good uh has some defensive potential pretty solid length uh but of course it's got to just be the three-pointer once again as it is with uh you know every single player that's ever existed uh on uh okc as a young prospect here you know i mean some of the stats on, on his three-pointer is only 31 percent from downtown from the college line uh, last year on you know about five attempts a game which you know is a decent number uh but yeah again the three-pointer in uh three out of 13 in in those five games in vegas not encouraging but at least we know they have a great track record of teaching these guys to shoot so i sure i'm sure it'll come around for all of them yeah i mean hopefully hopefully one of them but because they're all (laughs) these are all these are all pretty good uh pretty interesting bites at the apple but if if yeah hopefully one of them can pan out yeah i mean i guess you could say that jeremy grant has made significant strides for it i mean he's still not a great threat but he at least was starting to make the ones that he uh was taking even if he wasn't taking that many of them um all right well thanks man this was fun uh hoping to have you on still regularly this year in that same liam role to uh take a team uh for the 15 and 60 every week uh so and uh where can everyone follow you uh, on twitter i'm at ben underscore dull on twitter all right sounds good man we'll talk again soon all righty sounds good at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.